Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Hits 21, where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Lizzie, all look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century from January 2000 right through to the present day. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can find us over on Twitter. We are at Hits21UK. That is at Hits21UK. And you can email us too. Just send it on over to Hits21Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. Just like our previous episodes, we'll be looking back at some number one singles from the year 2002. This time we'll be covering the period from the 4th of August through to the 31st of August 2002. So we had a bit of a we had a bit of a longer stretch covered in the last episode, but it seems that we've reverted back to not getting out of a month uh, in the space of an episode. But hey, we're reaching the end of 2002 onwards and upwards. Last week our poll winner was I'm pretty sure to Andy's delight was a little less conversation by Elvis and JXL. Um, Well done. Uh, It won the vote despite me forgetting to put the poll on Twitter. But thankfully, thankfully a lot of people voted on Spotify. Um, I apologise if there are any Will Young fans out there who would have voted on Twitter and are now outraged that the uh, the results are skewed because of uh, human Fix. error in, Fix. in in the in the testing process. Yes, exactly. We we I didn't rig shit for. Um, <laughs> I think you should leave fans. But um, well, yes, now okay. Will knows what it feels like to come second. Ha! That's how it feels, <laughs> Will. <laughs> yeah, for once in his life, God. Um, okay, right. So on to this week's episode, and as always, we're going to give you some news headlines from around the time that the songs we're covering in this episode were at number one. In Cambridgeshire, 10-year-old girls Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman go missing. Their bodies are found two weeks later after what is still considered to be one of the largest police searches in British history. Ian Huntley, a caretaker of a nearby school, is charged with their murders, while his girlfriend Maxine Carr is charged with perverting the course of justice. Huntley was eventually convicted of the murders in December 2003 and sentenced to at least 40 years in prison, while Carr served three years for her charges, and I think has changed their identity several times since. Meanwhile, seven people die and nearly 200 people are infected in the worst outbreak of Legionnaire's disease in the Lake District town of Barrow in Furness. The source of the bacteria was identified as a badly maintained air conditioning unit on Portland Walk in the centre of the town. A £1.5 million settlement was eventually agreed between Barrow Council and construction company Interserve. Also, Sherry Blair, wife of Prime Minister Tony Blair, suffers a miscarriage at home in Downing Street. The story only emerges when the Blairs cancel their holiday to France, resulting in many reporters assuming that their absence was linked to the ongoing crisis regarding the prospective war in Iraq. I mean, gosh, yeah. some bad news around this time. Yeah, That's not, not a great set of headlines. Yeah, no. The films to hit the top of the UK box office during this period were as follows: Men in Black Two for three weeks, and The Guru for one week. Meanwhile, Channel 5 announces plans to rebrand as Five, um, which is a really successful rebrand because I had no idea they ever did that. I just always referred to it as Channel 5. Did they, so, did they have to wait for the band Five to split up before they could do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were planning. Imagine they were planning it in the mid 90s and it's like, right, guys, next week, get ready for the big rebrand. Oh, God, who's that at number one in the chat? Do, 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 oh. do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then uh, finally, they, they they got their moment. <laughs> they should have, yeah, they should have done it all as one in a bit of marketing synergy of like, let's have yeah. them be the face of the relaunch. Yeah, well, you uh, know, like Spice Girls yeah. sort of launched the channel. They could have had Five launch the channel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch Five on Five. There we go. Yeah, that exactly. could have been a regular show. Five right on Five. 
Oh, I'm in the wrong industry. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the first episode of Dick and Dom into Bungalow is broadcast on CBBC. In the first episode, the contestants known as Bungalow Heads are made to wear fake moustaches for as long as they can, are treated to a performance from a 67-year-old tap-dancing granny, and Dick balances a packet of McVitie's digestives on his head. It was quite cheap television, wasn't it, really? Dick and Dom into Bungalow. <laughs> Balance some digestives on your head. I've watched um I've watched episodes of that since and like I'm really surprised that like they basically that show just advertises lots and lots and lots of cocaine to children on a Saturday <laughs> yeah. morning. Like they just that show is nuts. See, I have to say I, I met Dom from Dick and Dom once. Um Oh. And he happened oh. to be doing a book signing and the queue dried up. Uh, and so me and my family just went over and talked to him. And he was incredibly lovely. So just uh, just to shout out that as well. And I think of, of all the many Ant and Dick imitators that were around this time in the wake of SMTV, I think Dick and Dom were the most successful, weren't they? With, with BAFTA award winning Dick and Dom in the bungalow, um, which is just a lovely <laughs> thing I like to yeah. reference. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were the kind of the tiz was to Ant and Dick's swap shop. I'll take your word on that. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the BBC publishes a list of the greatest Britons ever, which was voted for by members of the public in 2001. Among the top ten are Oliver Cromwell, John Lennon and William Shakespeare. So Winston Churchill takes the top spot. Elsewhere in the list, Boudicca charts at number 35, Boy George charts at number 46 and, for some reason... Bono charts at number 86, <laughs> despite being Irish. <laughs> Do you know, looking at those chart places, Rob, you really should have read that one because it kind of reads like the charts. It's like, Gareth Gates was at number one for one week before uh, yeah. being knocked off at Boudicca and plunging to number 46. <laughs> <laughs> I just love this idea that Britons in the year 2000 were like, oh yeah, remember Boudicca? I remember Boudicca, wasn't she great? <laughs> Really interesting that Boy George is relatively high. You know, only just not beating Boudicca. That's like, yeah, they're, they're not similar people, but they're charted very similarly. I need I think, to see that full list. Yeah. I think there's got to be some weird ones in there and some that probably, with hindsight, shouldn't be there. But Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, how are the album charts looking at the moment? Well, because it's a very quiet period on the charts, uh, on the album charts this week, because it's a very short period, thanks for not staying at number one for very long, guys. Um, <laughs> there's only three albums to discuss this week, one of which we discussed last week, which was By The Way by Red Hot Chili Peppers, which was still hanging around at number one at the start of this period. We tore that a new one last week, so let's move swiftly on from that. It was replaced at the top spot by Imagine by Eva Cassidy, who we have mentioned before on this show as someone who none of us are a particularly huge fan of, but seems to really rack in those number one albums. Oh, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, full play to her. Yeah, uh, So she got a platinum album with Imagine before being unseated after one week by a little band called Coldplay with A Rush of Blood to the Head. Um, huh. None of the singles off that album made it to number one. And just to say what those singles were, it was In My Place, The Scientist, Clocks, God Put a Smile on Your Face, all very successful, but none of them reached number one. Yeah, um, yeah. And the album was massive. It went 10 times platinum and was the highest selling album of the year in 2002. Um, 10 times platinum is absolutely enormous. It's actually outsells most of the albums that we've covered on this show so far a huge huge hit for Coldplay there which very much is the way the wind is blowing as the decade goes on shall we say yeah mm. yeah it's a it's a pretty good record i think Russia blood to the head I, yeah it's not, not so bad it's not my it's not my favorite um Coldplay album we'll come to that in in the future but you know it's it's decent i like Coldplay up to a point that point is pretty much 2010 uh so we're still well before that <laughs> They're okay. They're okay. Well, yeah. I mean, not these days. These days, they're just a sort of a product. They're not a band. They're just they're just yeah. a thing. But uh, they were okay in the noughties. I, I think they got ragged on a little bit too heavily. But um, we'll mm. see. We'll discuss them at a later date. Uh, Lizzie, how are things in the States? How are things faring there? Well, in the singles chart, after a seven-week reign at number one with Hot In Here, Nelly was eventually dethroned by Nelly whose song Dilemma, featuring Kelly Rowland, hit the top spot for 10 non-consecutive weeks from mid-August to early November. 
Wow. It also finished at number four on the US year-end list and number 11 on their decade-end list. Did it do as well in the UK, you ask? All I know is my gut says maybe. Oh, Lizzie! Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, meanwhile in the albums chart, it's, well, it's much busier. We've got four different albums for the month of August 2002. And the first of these is Busted Stuff by Dave Matthews Band, which hit the top oh. spot for one week, <laughs> selling 600,000 copies in its first week, and eventually going double platinum in the US. I couldn't find any data for the UK. I'm assuming it just didn't chart because nobody bought it because nobody cares. After that, <laughs> Toby Keith scored his first number one album with Unleashed, which went four times platinum in the US and finished in the top 40 of the year-end list for 2002 and 2003. Again, couldn't find any data for the UK, assuming nobody cares because it's Toby Keith. Why would we? Yeah. That stayed at number one for one week before being overthrown by Bruce Springsteen and his album The Rising, which also got to number one in the UK, as we mentioned in the last episode. It stayed at number one for two weeks in the US, eventually going double platinum and finishing at number 34 on the year-end list. And to finish off August, the number one spot was taken by, who else? Nelly. With Nellyville returning to number one for one more week. Oh, God. God, that guy owned the planet for a short while, didn't he? It really was Nelly Mania in 2002. Yeah, yeah he really did pack up his drunk and say goodbye to the circus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lizzie, did you mention um, that Toby Keith album? Was it, did you say it was Unleashed? Unleashed, the, yeah. Unleashed. That is the one that opens with. I think what is probably the most American song ever, the um, courtesy oh. of the red, white, and blue. Oh, is that the one that's like, we'll put a boot in your ass? Boot in it's your ass, American it's the American way. way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm just going to read some lyrics to this just for a second. I'm going to do an aside. Andy, have you ever heard this song before? Uh, no, not at all. But I was just about to jump in with a challenge to the most American song ever. But do go on. Go on. I'm willing to hear this. This challenge may be ended very shortly. Um, so, lyrics are, American girls and American guys will always stand up and salute, we'll always recognise. When we see old glory flying, there's a lot of men dead, so we can sleep in peace at night. We lay down our head. And then imagine, like, in a really smooth country voice, my daddy served in the army where he <laughs> lost his right eye, but he flew a flag out in our yard until the day he died. He wanted my brother, my mother, my sister and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free. Now this nation that I love has fallen under attack. A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the 4th of July. And then the, uh, the chorus goes, Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist. And the eagle will fly, man, it's going to be hell when you hear Mother Freedom start ringing her bell. And it feels like the whole world is raining down on you, brought to you courtesy of the red, white and blue. Okay. okay. So, yeah. God, patriotism, man. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember getting played that in a music lecture at university about 10 years ago. Uh a lot of people were laughing in that lecture. Um, so, <laughs> moving on to the songs this week. Uh, Andy, did that actually, did that end your challenge? It did. The only other one I was going to suggest was an, an American trilogy by Elvis, which is uh, mm. where he combines three old American folk songs about how great America is, uh, particularly related to the American Civil War. Um, and it's absolute Oof. schlock. It is awful. <laughs> don't ever listen to it. Really, don't ever do it. Like, I've got to warn you, don't ever listen to it. It's terrible. So bad. Do not listen to an American trilogy by Elvis. It sucks. You're so making yes. it more appealing. You're only making it more appealing. <laughs> okay, on to this week. Back over to the UK. Um, and our first song this week that we're going to be looking at is this. Forget the feeling that I miss you 
jealousy swells and it won't go away in dreams. Feeling yellow, I'm confused inside. A little hazy is that mellow when I feel your eyes on me. Feeling fine, sublime when that smile of yours creeps into my mind. Oh. Nobody told me it feels so Okay, this is Colorblind by Darius. Released as the lead single from his debut studio album entitled Dive In, Colorblind is also Darius's first single to be released in the UK and of course his first to reach number one. It is also his last. Colorblind went straight in at number one as a brand new entry knocking Gareth Gates off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for two weeks in its first week atop the charts, it sold 111,000 copies and beat competition from Black Suits Come In, Nod Your Head by Will Smith, which got to number three, I Need a Girl by P. Diddy featuring Usher, which got to number four, and Boys by Britney Spears featuring Pharrell Williams, who was who is credited as P. Williams on the track, which got to number seven. In its second week at the top, it sold 62,000 copies in beat competition from In My Place by Coldplay, we mentioned it before, that got to number two. Like a Prayer by Madhouse, which got to number three. And Girl All The Bad Guys Want by Bowling For Soup, which got to number eight. Bowling For Soup. Ugh. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Colorblind dropped one place to number two. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 19 weeks. The song achieved gold status in the UK in May 2020, which was two years before Darius sadly died at the age of 41. Andy, colorblind, Darius, how had it? Yeah, so I, I mean, I mainly want to talk about Darius himself rather than the song, because I do think he's a very interesting character. Uh, the dear departed Darius, we have to say. Um, absolutely awful news to hear about that. Um, very very recently unfortunately yeah um and i th- i've always thought he's such an interesting character because he is the first example really of a joke contestant on a talent uh, on a talent show but yeah. he really did change that narrative and seized it in a way that was very ahead of its time and very clever he he really reminds me quite a lot of rylan um who of course started on The X Factor, in that they both were very clearly positioned as silly joke contestants who you're supposed to boo and jeer and go, no, they shouldn't win. But actually, beneath the surface, both Darius and Rylan, clearly far more intelligent than than they led on, clearly far more aware of how this all works. And they knew that there is a game to be played here. Because there's a real stark difference, as far as I remember, from how Darius came across on Pop Stars compared to Pop Idol, where on Pop Stars, he sort of came across as this kind of hippie-type figure, you know, with a long ponytail, who wore turtlenecks quite a lot, who did, mostly known for, I have to say, the world's worst version of Baby One More Time. It was so awful. (laughs) Hilariously bad. Um, And... That was kind of the overriding image of Darius and why he was brought onto Pop Idol because, like, oh, remember that funny bad singer? But he totally sees that and actually came across as a very credible artist throughout Pop Idol. And now he's got that kind of runner up thing, which we talked about a few weeks ago, where you're able to take your time a bit more, there's no pressure on you. And he's come out with what I think is actually a pretty good song here. It's not perfect, and I do have criticisms of it, which I will get into. But what I really like about it is this lyrical gimmick of naming all the colours. It just works for me as a gimmick. It's really silly. Um, and it is sort of got that kind of tinge of cringe, if I can call it that, of like, you know, you kind of vaguely want to laugh at this song a little bit because it plays on that colour gimmick so hard. And, you know, they've really kind of used every possible <laughs> metaphor to do with colours in those lyrics. But it works for me. And it is a catchy song as well. I think he's just got the right mix here of being, 
you know, an artist who is very poppy, who you remember from a talent show, who's got that crossover appeal, but also has come up with a genuinely quite decent song here, with a gimmick in it that is, you know, will catch the kids and will catch the nanas at home, but also it's just a nice song. It really kind of struck me that we're very much on the cusp of Busted coming around, and I could totally see a rockier version of this being a Busted single. Like, it's that sort of thing um, that has that sort of crossover appeal. And I think it's it's quite understandable to me why I got to number one. Like, it just has all the right ingredients, really. The things I don't like about it um, are, first of all, it's just a little bit dull, a little bit overproduced. Um, it's it's quite straight down the line. It's a pretty straight up, you know, debut single for someone who was off a talent show, um, which is a little bit disappointing because he could have done something much more wacky and different. I also don't think his voice in terms of tone and texture is the greatest, really. Uh, like, he's got very good range, and the song, you know, he, he does a very, very good job with actually singing it, but he's got a little bit of a sort of restrained voice, which doesn't have that much emotion in it, unfortunately, and I think that kind of robs the song of a little bit of an X factor that it could do with. But I'm just happy to see Darius here, to be honest. I think the way he sort of came across is someone who just wanted to be a pop star. Like, he wasn't in it for the reality TV experience. He wasn't in it for, you know, kind of tabloid fame because he never really pursued any of that. He went on pop stars, he went on pop idol, and then he took his time and released a single, which is quite good, followed by some less successful singles. He just wanted to be a pop star. He's the right kind of person to be going on a talent show. And I think it's very hard not to root for him and and hard to not look back on him very fondly. Um, So... Full credit to him, and you know, it's very, very sadly missed. It's not the greatest song in the world, but it's one of those songs that I just kind of smile when I listen to it because it's like, isn't this kind of fun? You know, isn't this just a sort of clever song? And I don't really feel like it could have come out with anyone else from that era except good old Darius Dinesh. So, yeah, it's a thumbs up from me for this. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, Lizzie, how about you? Yeah, um, it's a really good summary, Andy. And I think, I'm, like, I'm I'm really glad you mentioned the whole um, going from pop stars to pop idol, and it it almost being like he was two different people. In one sense, he came through on pop stars as like, oh god, he's terrible, but we're going to keep him on because we want to see what he does next. He's so wacky, and like, by the time <laughs> he gets pop idol, it's more like, oh no, but he's actually he's a serious musician, and he's stuck in this world full of. You, you know this this television show and he deserves so much better because he's an artist but it's like this is a song apparently that he'd written some years before and I think it kind of shows like the colour motif is it's fine but I don't know it's very obvious straight from the get go what it's doing and I think once you've sort of picked up on it it's it doesn't really develop much into a theme that you can really hang on too much it is just this kind of laboured colour motif and it's like some of the, some of the the lyrics are really kind of stretching like feeling red feeling red when you spend all your time with your friends and not me instead feeling black when i think of all the things that i feel i lack it's all like this really needs a rewrite and and as much as like this must have been big because it was number one for two weeks right in the middle of summer, but I have no recollection of ever hearing the song before this week. Oh gosh, I do. Oh it, really? It was, yeah, it, no, it was I big. No, I have no memory yeah. of this at all. Um, I, I guess it must have been one of those things that's kind of passed me by because I don't know. I don't think it's terrible. Um, I think Darius has a really nice and quite distinct voice. It's certainly not something I'd expect to have come from a talent show. I'd expect it to be you know, maybe a bigger name, but this is just a bit of a... It's an okay track, but I don't love it. Um, I think there's just something missing here that I feel could have really put it over the edge. Instead, it's just this okay song with a bit of a weird conceit. So, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle with this one. That's fair well, enough. true to form, I think I land in the middle of both of you two. Um... I think this is sort of lovely uh, and tuneful and sort of cute and adorable. Like, I thought, like Lizzie, I would be put off by the colours gimmick 
in the lyrics all the feeling blue, feeling green stuff. Like, but, like, there's something sort of weirdly charming about it, even down to the jade, jaded pun. Like, when you think he's going to say feeling, and he says jaded. And I, I think it's that kind of thing that kind of stitches the song together in the end, um, seeing which colours he'll go with next and which colours he leaves out and that sort of thing. And I sort of think the chorus is... is, is I, I tell you what, I'd, I'd love to... I'd pay to write a chorus that instant, you know? Like, just the... Nobody's there. It just... It, you know, it goes up and down and it has a, I think it has a lot of character... Um, to the the chorus, the, the arrangement feels quite warm and bright uh, in the way that I think that it's shooting for. Um, but I can't shake the feeling that Ronan Keating could do this very easily. His I think, name was in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. I think what Darius brings that Ronan can't is character. Darius doesn't have a great voice, but he allows it to squeal and squeak and add a bit of colour pun not intended, to the vocal performance that I don't think Ronan would bring. I think Ronan would play it very straight. But this all feels a bit safe, and it still feels a bit managed. It's like the safest possible version of itself that it could be. Like, just, we've got to make sure that we bag this, you know, like, it's you've got to go for a number one, and it's like, there's probably a conversation where it's like, oh, we've got to make sure that we secure this. You know, because this could set you up, and so I think I imagine he's probably made a few concessions with the sound of this. Um, but still, bless him. I think you know. I know we've kind of mentioned it, but I think that people do kind of forget, like that he was a bit of an embarrassment at first on pop stars, but then he came back and changed his image, and he managed to get a number one single out of it and a platinum selling debut album. So. Fair enough. Like, I think mm. it's just Darius is one of those guys, like you said, like Rylan. I mean, Rylan's Twitter bio, I think, is something like, started out as a joke, but now I'm the one laughing, or something yeah. like that. And I think, you know, there are people who go into fame and go into celebrity and know it's all a game that you just have to play. And it seemed like Darius was pretty like you say pretty switched on with like how you could cultivate an image before you were even really famous and then launch yourself off it but i think darius also benefited from not people forgetting about him because i don't think you forget a name like darius like it's not a name that you know it doesn't blend in with all the other names out there darius like how many famous people do you know that are called darius mm. And I mean, there's, there's, there's England and former City and Villa footballer Darius Vassell, but you know, like it's not a it's not a name that like is really common. Before even before he died, I think if somebody was to mention Darius to you, you would go, "Oh yeah, Darius. I wonder how he's doing. I wonder what he's up to these days." You know, he wasn't overexposed. It was like he had a couple of top ten singles. Everybody thought quite nicely about him. He went away and did some other stuff. And even like, but then when he did die, there was there was this sort of strange outpouring of grief, where it's like I feel like we all have a collective niceness. There's a warmth towards Darius and from Darius. I think everybody just sort of looks back and goes, "Oh, him." Yeah, I remember him. It was, you know, like a, a an icon from a different time, an icon for a very short period of time, but wasn't overplayed or overdone or on the TV too much. I think it, I think people would have remembered him fondly, whether if even if he was still alive. He sits in this very interesting place in reality TV and pop music, like recent history where he was positioned as a kind of quirky... I'm not going to say Joe Cat because he wasn't that on Pop Idol. He might have been that a little bit on Pop Stars, but he was definitely the kind of... They shouldn't really have got this far in the competition, like you say. You know, he, he was sort of in that place. But when you compare him to those who came later in that slot, like Jedward and Wagner and Honey G and people like that, you know... Chico. They, and Chico, <laughs> yeah. They had a kind of obnoxiousness to them about them that, like, you know... They weren't very good singers. You know, it was quite annoying that they got that far in the competition. You really 
a part of you genuinely wanted them to go. Like, you were quite annoyed at their continued presence on the show. It was never like that with Darius. It was always very soft-touching that he was a bit different and he was a bit odd. But you enjoyed watching him. Like, you wouldn't have yeah. had any problem with him getting all the way through those shows. And he did nearly get all the way through Pop Idol. And mm. I think he was just so completely uncontroversial, despite the fact that he had risen from a point of notoriety. You know, he was still completely uncontroversial and people had really enjoyed what they'd seen of him. And he'd never annoyed people with his presence on those shows and I think that makes a really big difference to the legacy that those kind of acts have yeah totally totally agree about that um okay we'll move on and second up this week is this Okay, this is Round Round by Sugar Babes. Released as the second single from the group's second studio album entitled Angels with Dirty Faces, Round Round is Sugar Babes' sixth single overall to be released in the UK and their second to reach number one after Freak Like Me reached the summit earlier this year. It's not the last time we'll be discussing Sugar Babes on this podcast. Round Round went straight in at number one as a brand new entry knocking Darius off the top spot. It spent one week at number one. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 62,000 copies and beat competition from Romeo Dunn by Romeo, which got to number three. <laughs> yeah. Um, James Dean, I Wanna Know by Daniel Beddingfield, which got to number four. Lovin' Is Easy by Hearsay, which got to number six. Alone by Lasgo, which got to number seven. And Half a Heart by H and Claire, which got to number eight. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Round Round dropped one place to number two. And by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 14 weeks. The song achieved gold status in the UK in August last year. So August 2022. Just want to say about that rest of that top 10 there, that there's a couple of names that pop up there where it's like, if it had been literally 18 months earlier, then we might have been talking about them. Mm. But they're just beginning to like fall off the edge of you know their their the, the journey through the, uh, the, the sort of like ma- massive public notoriety is kind of coming towards an end so hearsay get to number six and H and Claire get to number eight when I think 18 months earlier we may have been talking about them more in depth I'll go first on this one round round um, I love sugar babes in this mode like they're trying to end the conversation with you because they've got somewhere much cooler to be like i said the last time we covered them with freak like me that they're a different kind of girl group they approach the girl group dynamic differently and i think this hammers my point home which is that they sound kind of aloof like it's something Mutia really brings in her performances i think they have a lot of what i'll call disinterested sass in their voices all three of them they all sound like ice cold emotionally non-committal and it makes them sound so cool, like they're the girls you want to be. Um, there's all sorts of exciting electro clash production going on around them. Uh, dare I say it? I think people credit Sound of the Underground with a lot of things that Round Round sort of d- 
does first. Like, I won't deny that Sound of the Underground feels more dangerous and new, and we'll talk about that when we get to it, but Sugar Babes are bringing something different here too. It feels like at this point we, we sort of learned from All Saints what they were capable of, given the right material. And that the experience of this song is, is great for me. Not as much as Freak Like Me, just because that bridge section, the slow bridge where it kind of, you know, it really takes its time and switches to a different atmosphere, doesn't quite work. Um, I love the idea, but I don't love the execution. It, it doesn't have the desired effect. It, I think, I feel like it suddenly lurches from this cool, aloof, dispassionate dance track into this little ballad suite, and it doesn't quite land for me. Um, but still, it's not around for long, and then we're back to the action, which is really thrilling and exciting, and I had no idea that Electro Clash appeared not only in the charts so early, but appeared so high in the charts. Um, at, at this stage, I always associate Electro Clash with the second half of the 2000s, especially in the mainstream anyway. But yeah, Sugar Babe's really bringing something here. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of it. Not as much as um, Freak Like Me, but yeah, I'm I'm into it. Uh, Andy, what about what about you? Yeah, um, it's it's interesting with this one because I I had not ever like deliberately sat down and listened to this. I remember it very well from the time, but it, it probably been most of the twenty years that's passed since without me listening to this song you know it's really just not a feature of my life at all so I was just going off m the memory in my head from a kid of, of what I thought of this really um, then I actually sat down and listened to it in preparation for the show and I just thought whoa there's loads about this that I didn't remember um, and it's gone right up in my estimations I have to say there's it, the production is the star on this one the same as Freak Like Me the production is the real star of this where there's so many weird little instrumental choices that don't need to be there but are there and really add something I think it, what really surprised me on revisiting this song is how unpoppy it is at various times that it, it brings in a lot of other genres as influences like there's a kind of there's that rock guitar in the background. There's a kind of garage R&B kind of thing going on in the background with the drums. There's that weird atonal percussion that always leads up to the choruses, which just offsets me. And I, it's something that I really, really love hearing that. It's something that's a little bit off tone, a little bit out of tune, mm. just to kind of push you. There's, I mentioned this in Don't Call Me Baby, that it has that one particular synth that's out of tune that I just love. Um, there's loads to this that I didn't remember at all. And as a kind of production number, I thought, wow, this is really good. Really, really good. Way better than I expected. But there are a few little downsides for me. Um, I have to make the same criticism of this, which I did of Freak Like Me, which is that the Sugar Babes as singers are just completely lost in this song. I, I disagree with you, Rob, actually, in terms of their voices as being, you know, sort of cold and aloof, which I, I think that's the intent. But to me, they just don't hold my interest. The song is bigger than them, and they are quite dull to listen to as singers I find unfortunately quite sort of nondescript and this is a song that really isn't nondescript it has a lot of interest to it a lot of stuff built into it and I think them as artists are kind of lost in that mix they're sort of the the last kind of afterthought of this song which is a real real shame you know I the, the comparison that is always made between Sugar Babes and Girls Aloud and which you choose, you know, which is better. For me, the reason why I've always preferred Girls Aloud, we'll get to this, really, when we get to, to Girls Aloud, but I always thought there was so much character in them that they always seemed a bit quirky, like it just sort of came out in their voices that you really got a sense of their personalities, a sense of fun. I don't feel like you get that sense of fun from Sugar Babes' voices in either this or Freak Like Me, and it is becoming a problem for me, and I think that's why the Sugar Babes in general tend to be a hard sell for me. But having said that, it's a really, really well-produced song. It was far, far better than I was expecting. Um, the only other thing that I'm not sure that I like is that breakdown in the middle before the last chorus. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I genuinely don't know. I really don't know. Because part of me thinks it kills all momentum of the song, that it, it just slows everything down to a drag, and then we have to find our way back to a chorus again. But then part of me thinks, well, you know, it kind of needs something... At, at that time to keep it as interesting to keep it as fresh as it has been up to now it needs something extra I'm not really sure I think it's a weird choice and it, I'm not if I had to make a decision I don't really think that breakdown works for me um, 
And the the chorus, I think, is probably the least interesting part of the song. I think melodically, the chorus is nowhere near as interesting as the verses are. But those are kind of minor points, really. And on the whole, this is a big plus. I, I really enjoyed this far more than I was expecting. So Sugar Babes are doing well for me so far. I don't know if this will continue, but that's two out of two so far that I've been far more raving about than I really ever expected to be. So let's see how it goes. Um, but yeah, cool. it's a, this yeah. is a good one. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Lizzie, what about you? Uh, do you like it as much as me or Andy? I think I do kind of land somewhere in the middle between you both. Um, it's like, I do agree on... I may as well just get it out of the way, so we're three for three. I'm not as keen on the, the part where it goes a bit slower. I think that's a, I think it's a neat trick to do in a song, and there's ways you can do it where it can be really sort of compelling and exciting like in I don't know French Kiss by Little Louie but here it does I think it does kind of sap a bit of the energy from the song that it never fully pulls back because it's kind of mm. towards the end but I don't think it's a major minus on it or anything it's not like a a, a, a blotch it's just something that no you could you know you could cut it out of the song and the song would still be solid so that's the thing but yeah, I, I totally agree that this feels like it's sort of paving the way towards Sound of the Underground later on, where you've got the kind of discordant guitar backing, but you can barely make out the guitars. It's all just like fuzz and noise and and kind of the that combined with like the synthetic drums. Like you say, it's quite electro clash and... Yeah, I, I like the direction they're, they're going in with this. Uh, I think I also agree with you, Rob, that I do like the more aloof vocals i think they can do that well where i don't want to say their vocals are anonymous but that they are kind of detached from the song and it just adds to this yeah let's say cool vibe they're going for they're not going for like what we've been used to in pop for the years before this where it's all showy and personality they're content with just sort of being in the shadows a little bit more and not dominating the song around them it's just making it like it work as a whole rather than having one or two personalities just standing out and dominating the spotlight um mm. but yeah all in all as you know i i don't like this as much as freak like me but that's fine there's there's not many songs that we're going to cover that i like as much as freak like me <laughs> and yeah i i do really like this i think it's held up really well if only for that that one bit but you know, mm. we, we can forgive that i think i think what you said there lizzie actually about the their vocals kind of becoming another instrument as opposed to the the lead part you know they kind of blend in yeah, yeah. i think that's probably put in more concise words what i was trying to put across about them approaching the 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 especially the female vocal group dynamic a bit differently um, where yeah. they probably know that they're not that strong as singers. I think this is probably why other songs of theirs, where they go, not for balladeering ex exactly, but, you know, stuff like Too Lost in You. Yeah, where, yeah. Well, like, it's a good, it's, you know, it's a decent song, but I think maybe maybe that's the reason that, it, that their voices are a bit exposed in a song like that, and it just means that the numbers that are required to get to number one, it doesn't quite... It doesn't quite manage, you know, there's just like, you know, if 20,000 people decide, mm, maybe not, it is the difference mm -hmm. between a, a number one and as two lost in you uh, got to number 10. So it's, which is strange because it's a song everybody sort of remembers probably because of Love Actually. But, because um, I'm pretty sure it gets used in that midway through the film. But um, yeah, so cool, right. Good that we're all positive about Sugar Babes. Um, <laughs> our final song this week, our third and final song, is this. So tell me what you're gonna do in the judgment comes for you. Judgment comes for you. So tell me what you're gonna do when ain't no place to hide. When judgment comes for you, it's gonna come. See you at the crossroads, crossroads, crossroads. 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 
So where you wanna go and pray? You gotta make it someday. You got a job, so where you wanna raise? Where you wanna act tough? What can you play? This whole fame thing just comes one of these days, and when it comes, you'll be one of a kind. But before this, keep all this in your mind, cause I will hold you to the end of the line. Want all this, you'll be mad to decline. So what you gonna do when every day's the same? Try and do this shit just for a glimpse of fame. Didn't mean to do it, just put yourself to shame. Didn't wanna kill it, just try to play the game. When you reach the crossroads, where you gonna go? Go with your car, just let your finish flow. Life's up, life's down, but fist could turn around. Innocent or guilty, you will soon be found. We pray and we pray and we pray and we pray Every day, every day, every day, every day And we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray Still we let See you at the crossroads, crossroads, crossroads 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 See you at the crossroads, crossroads Okay, this is Crossroads by Blazing Squad, released as the lead single from the group's debut studio album entitled In The Beginning. Crossroads is Blazing Squad's first single to be released in the UK uh, overall and of course their first to reach number one. It's also their last. The song is a reworking of The Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony which reached number eight in the UK in 1996. Crossroads went straight in at number one as a brand new entry knocking Sugar Babes off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 53,000 copies and beat competition from Addictive by Truth Hurts featuring Rakim, which got oh, to number three. I did not know that Rakim was involved on a hit single. What You Got by Abs, which got to number five. <laughs> no, number five? That's Abs from five, reached number five. Oh, yeah. At the well, same time that 5 relaunched as ch- Channel 5 channel relaunched five. as 5 and Abs from 5 reached number 5 all in the same week. What? Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> Starry Eyed Surprise by Paul Oakenfold, which got to number 6, and Just the Way You Are by Milky, which got to number 8. When Crossroads was knocked off the top of the charts, it dropped one place to number two. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 19 weeks, and the song was certified silver in March 2021. Some people going back during the pandemic and going, oh, remember when we didn't have a big virus? And that's probably what pushed it over the line. So, Lizzie, Crossroads by Blazing Squad. How do we feel? So... Blazing Squad actually played my school in 2003. Gosh. No. Oh, yeah, God. they did. Wow. <laughs> it was it was amazing. So from what I can remember, this was like, um, would have been in sort of late winter, I think. Um, I would have been in geography class. And I remember one of the teachers came and it's like, we've, you know, we've got a little surprise for you kids. We need you to come to the sports hall. It's like, okay, because I didn't know anything about this. And we all sort of bundled in there. And then Blazing Squad get up on the stage and it's like, ah, everybody goes mad. And they do a couple of songs. I think they did this one. They did a couple of others, but I can't, I can't remember the names. I'm did sorry. they do Flip Reverse? No, because... Love on the Line? <laughs> love on the Line is one, yeah. They probably did Love on the Line. I think this was a couple of months before they did Flip Reverse. But what had happened was we'd won a competition on a local radio station for Blazing Squad to play our school. Now, we weren't the only (laughs) ones. We won in, you know, in tandem with a couple of other schools. So I'm assuming that after they played our school, they were kind of carted into the back of the van, like twerking style. They had to do seven other schools that day, presumably. You get a signed picture of Kenzie. It's like, well, that doesn't look like you. Oh, that's the old Kenzie. <laughs> and, and and so on. But yeah, that's a, that's a, another memory from my childhood is that Blazing Squad played my school. And that's pretty cool. awesome. Yeah, yeah. There's been some evidence of it, like, in various places, but all the pictures look like they've been taken with a potato, so yeah. it doesn't <laughs> stick in the memory. And plus, you know, it's... It's that typical sports hall where like all the lights are orange and you've got the apparatus in the back that doesn't do anything, it never gets used. So yeah, good times. Um, I suppose yeah. you should actually talk about the song, shouldn't I? <laughs> well, I don't know though, because for a day you were the envy of basically every other school in the country. 
I don't know. In 2003, I think most of I us mean, had moved on by 2003. The Lost so? Oh, God, yeah. A little yeah. bit. Well, then again, they get to number two with um, Flip Reverse. Flip Reverse, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think they did oh, all right. Uh, that's pretty by cool. Maybe I don't know, but yeah, the most famous group to ever play my school were a Christian rap trio called the Band with No Name, you've seen, and they yeah, were from Stockport. So <laughs> <laughs> take <laughs> what you can, Lizzie. Take what you can. <laughs> yeah, I've got. Well, they never played at my school because I don't think they'd yet formed. But the band Lawson, the boy band Lawson from the early north, eh, from the early tens, went to my school. Were in the year above me, but they oh, never really? they did, went together while they were at school. So I never got that. But they've probably played that school since. So wow. but that's that's rubbish compared to Blazing Squad. Uh, I would say it's better than Band with No Name, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, the song. Uh, I've been putting it off. I may as well talk about it. Like while I don't mind this cover. I can't help but think that it maybe misses the point of the original, which is like yeah, an unstated totally. reflection on mortality as a tribute to Easy E. And like most notably with the original, you don't hear the chorus until about two minutes in, making it like a a cathartic release in a clearly very emotionally charged song. Whereas in this version, they just cut to the chase and they get the chorus out there straight after the intro, and again after about a minute. And in a way, I don't blame them because it's a solid earworm of a chorus and it still sounds just as sweet and melancholic in this version as it does the original. But it loses a lot of its impact when they go back to it over and over again and when the verses here don't really connect to the theme of the original. And like the verses by far, to me, are the weakest part of this track and make them come off as like a fifth-rate So Solid crew whether each taking turns to rattle off bars that are part forgettable and part questionable. You know that bit of, like, didn't want to kill her just trying to play the game? Like, what's all that about? We never, yeah. we never said he did. What's all this about <laughs> killing women? Like, what? Where did that come from? But, but anyway, like aside from that, the production's nice enough, even if it is just a slightly flatter rendition of the original, and the chorus is always going to be a winner. It's just that that lack of something truly unique and special, which means that Blazing Squad kind of feel like they're already on borrowed time as soon as they've hit the scene. Like there's already a sea change in UK hip hop, which is well underway, but they seem completely isolated from all of that. Instead, what they strike me as is a bunch of lads who are really into American hip hop. And whose idea of a unique selling point is having a London accent on top of that. Like, they didn't deserve the backlash that they got from the press at the time, I don't think. But I don't think they deserved any more than this soul number one either. Yeah, I don't think anything ever deserves... Groups like this, anyway, that get backlash from the press for whatever reason. You sort of look back at them you know 20 years hence and you sort of go what was all the fuss about like yeah, either way enough, yeah yeah they just seem like a bunch of lads yeah like you know uh I'll, I'll go second on this one andy you can close off this is sort of cute i guess like i watched that video and i recognize a lot of the lads from my own life like you know you can smell the calvin klein aftershave and the vo5 wet look gel oh like, definitely <laughs> emanating out of the screen like <laughs> you just sort of look at them and it's like you recognize the shirt like lacoste or something like that and you I recognize the, the jeans from here exactly yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> there's an image that's very clearly cultivated in that i love the set piece in the video by the way with the kind of like half finished you know like dual carriageway that's kind of hanging over the, this urban landscape that they're in and they seem like they're having a good time. I think there's a general sense in the video of, like, literally, like, last week I was doing a Sunday job in a shop and now I'm, like, filming a video for something that's going to be a number one single. Like, whoa, you know, that sort of thing. It seemed like something, like, that happened overnight. I think this cover does interesting, if not entirely successful things with the arrangement of the original. I've also noticed, Lizzie, that they pull the chorus forward by a good 90 seconds so that they can do it two and three times. Easily, yeah. Because they know it's the most memorable bit of the original song, and well, so they yeah. just go like, oh, yeah, fine, we'll just front load it and then overload it. And, yeah, people will buy into that. 
you know, the, the performances are charming-ish, and I can appreciate the technical ability that they all have. And I think also there is this kind of feeling that, like, you know, now I'm 28, approaching 30, I feel so much warmer towards pop stars who haven't even hit 20, even when I don't like the stuff that they're doing. Like, when I was a kid, when I was also 16 or 17, it's like, who are these people? And we'll get into a lot of that in, like, 2010, 2011. But, like, obviously at the time I was, like, eight when this came out. So Blazing Squad are like, whoa, who are these dead old guys? Like, who are they? (laughs) Like, you know, they seem so much mature, so much more mature than me. Um, but the problems are plentiful. Uh, they start with the, like, the obnoxious gang vocals, and I think that, like, it, it just sort of seems a bit adorable when it's not supposed to be. Like, they're supposed to be adorable visually to 14-year-old girls, but it does seem a little bit like they're trying to make them more than just a group of boys. Like, you know, they've all got aliases. There's 10 of them, so be scared. But, like, it also seems like they would be adorable to grandmas as well, and I don't think that's good for their street cred. Like, Ooh, you know, no. they don't have a G in blazing, so they're supposed to be... That's that's supposed to alienate everybody over 40 straight away. With Blazing? What's that? You know, that sort of thing. So... So I don't know if they come across as. I think this is the thing with Bone Thugs and Harmony. Their name says everything that you need to know about them, which is that they play hard and soft, and that they're quite good at both of those things. The the original yeah, track, yeah. especially um, that E ninety nine Eternal, um, is like a big. You know, it's, it's a big deal that album, and they play that balance really well. And I think my issue with this, my main issue with this, my overriding problem is that something's lost in translation, like you said, Lizzie. Like, the original, which was originally called Crossroad, and then they did it again for The Crossroads, both versions. What I absorb from the original songs is pain. Mm. And I think it's pain that's unique to the lives of young black Americans who grow up in urban poverty and they grow up surrounded by violence and they have to grow up fast and they lose friends before they're 25 like the original version of this was written about someone one of their friends who was shot there are more mentions of people in this song who died before they were my age you know that when they wrote um crossroads and crossroads they were only about three or four years older than the lads in blazing squad but they feel so much older and not in a way where like Ronan Keating feels like he's 40 and boring. These guys and a lot of black hip hop artists, they sound like they've been made to grow old before their time. Yeah. And like these guys grew up during like, they were from Cleveland in Ohio. So you don't associate it with like the gang violence of central Los Angeles or bits of New York and stuff like that. But they still grew up during the crack epidemic, which really seized Ohio. And there is something about them, black hip hop artists, they always sound and look so much older than they are. And they have wisdom and knowledge and experiences that they shouldn't have yet. The thing that always blows me away, considering the topics that they covered in their songs, is that Tupac and Biggie were 25 and 24. Like, they were babies, Mm -hmm. but they both sounded like they lived through so much already. And the version that Blazing Squad are reworking, like you said, Lizzie, was written as a tribute to Eazy-E, who signed Bone Thugs, that's why they know him. And he was only 30 when he died. And again, it's an entire lifetime's worth of experience and influence in a really short space of time. Whereas Blazing Squad, they all look 17, they all sound 17, and it's all made a little harder to believe by, like you said, Lizzie, the lyrics not really conveying much beyond, like, I'm trying to make the right choice and that it could yeah. go one way or the other. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, and the other thing as well with the Bone Thugs version is that the crossroads is like a myth and legend thing in 20th century black music in America. It's surrounded by all sorts of legend, like, you know, Robert Johnson and selling Mm -hmm. your soul to the devil so you can get talent to play music and communicate the blues. And 
that sort of stuff. It's a much, much stronger metaphor than Blazing Squad have taken it for, where they've hit you over the head with a sledgehammer, and instead of the crossroads being like some mystical place, the crossroads is literally just which direction are you going to take? And it's not as interesting, especially the single version, because a couple of the verses from the album version are cut out on the single version. It's harder to decipher what the lyrics are going for. Um, and I, I, like, I kind of like that the Blazing Squad version places greater priority on different, different aspects of the original, like the chorus being repeated more. I don't know if I like that or not, but it's interesting and it's kind of curious. Um, it's more interested in the melodic aspects of the original, which is fine, uh, not bad, but like when you listen to the original, it just feels a bit like this one kind of pales in comparison uh, in quite a quite a way, actually. Um, Andy, what about what about you? Yeah, I don't, I don't really have that much to add that, to add, sorry that you two haven't already said. Um, I think it's it's to me, one thing that is very interesting is that they are one of the very earliest incarnations of your stereotypical chav kind of act um which is is not a phrase that i like but it's it they are one of the earliest examples they have been mentioned by um by a journalist as being the like the original pioneers of chav culture which is not true at all i don't think no. you know, there, there were many who preceded them um mainly on tv rather than in music but there were many um that preceded them but in terms of that kind of specific noughties image of like Vicky Pollard or like um, you know Taron yeah, Edg- Tar- Edgerton's character in Kingsman you know that kind of character um, they are very much that archetype and it's funny looking back on it now because at the time I was the kind of kid who would have been very intimidated by them because um, I was a total softy you know I was not part of that culture at all but now looking back it's just like oh look at them boys thinking they're hard they're not hard <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's very funny really you know I don't hold it against them at all but the music video is really really funny um, the way that it, there's two types of shot in the music video of them just hanging around on that flyover the first of the of those shots is them just kind of individually each just glaring at the camera and not glaring in a kind of doing a smolder doing a kind of you know expression down the camera just like blank looking at it just like just like they've been caught gormless, which is really, really funny. <laughs> and the other kind of shot they go for is sometimes, rather than being in their tracksuits, they're in um they're in like you know the kind of shirt that you would wear when you are like sixteen, seventeen and you wanna get served at a pub so you kind of overdress a bit. Yeah. And wear yeah. something that makes you look fifty years down. old. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's so, so funny to see that. Um, They all look ridiculous. There's also one of the group, I don't know which one it is, who genuinely looks about 10. Like, really, really (laughs) young. Really jumps out as sort of, like, possibly having not hit puberty yet. And I found that quite funny. But, yeah, the thing about Blazing Squad, really, is that they, they were very much a marketing exercise. A very successful one. But... That's kind of their real triumph, really, and that they were marketed as kind of bad boys, you know, an alternative to boy bands for girls who wanted to kind of fancy boys who were a little bit more dangerous, you know, who might get them into trouble, the kind of boys you don't want to bring home to your parents. But also, they do it in such a way that they're not too dangerous. You know, they've got a nice ballad here that's kind of inoffensive, that's not too in your face with any of the hip-hop influences, so it still feels generic enough that you can feel safe around them. It's a good combination, and it means that they really do strike the chord with that market. But it is just an illusion, really. It wears off really quickly, and the sacrifice they have to make to achieve that is that it's a really, really bland song. It's, it's I mean, not in the realms of Ronan Keating or anything like that, but there's not really much to the song, to be honest. And everything I could have possibly said about the song, you both have already said, really. Um... Yeah, it's, what's interesting to me is that around, well, at exactly this time, because we've mentioned them a few times in previous weeks, S Club Juniors are a thing. And these are like the same age as S Club Juniors. And one is being marketed towards six and seven year olds, and one is being marketed towards like 13, 14 year old girls. And these groups are like contemporaries of each other. Which is just, it shows to me the power of how music is marketed and how young people are marketed towards entirely different audiences. And I found that very, very strange to think about. But other than that, I really don't have anything to say about Blazing Squad other than that they're, they're a funny little time capsule 
of a way of dressing and a way of behaving that is just not a thing anymore. And um, it, it kind of, I find it quite sweet and it kind of warms my heart to look back on Blazing Squad. But um, no, it's not very good, this. It's not very good at all. <laughs> it gets an overall thumbs down from me, but I enjoyed revisiting it, yeah. Okay then, so before we finish this week's episode, just want to check, are we going to be putting any songs in the vault? So, or the pie hole. Um, Colorblind by Darius, is that going anywhere for anyone? Oh, not quite no, Darius, no. I'm sorry. No. No. Okay, yeah, me neither. Um, Round Round by Sugar Babes. Not quite, I'm afraid, no. No. Yeah, I've, mm, I'm kind of on the fence with this one. It might bump in there eventually for me, but not quite. Okay, well, I'm putting it in. It's going in the vault for me. Okay, um, okay I'm then. sticking it in. Um, and Crossroads by Blazing Squad. No. no. It was a bit close to the pie hole for me, because particularly that bit and the... Um, the, where a lot of the backing vocals are doing that sound that I can only describe as sounding like a goat, that <laughs> bit in the background. <laughs> and I really hated that, but it's not bad enough to go in the pie hole. No. Okay then, yeah, me neither. So, next week, uh, when we come back, we'll be covering the period between the 1st of September through to the 12th of October, so we're almost out of 2002. We're almost there, guys. But thank you very much for listening this week. Uh, We'll be back next time. Thank you. We'll see you soon. See ya. Bye-bye. My daddy served in the army We lost his right eye But he flew a flag out in our yard Till the day that he died He wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me To grow up and live happy in the land of the free Now this nation that I love is falling under attack A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the Fourth of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list, and the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist, and the eagle will fly, and it's gonna be here when you hear Mother Freedom start ringing her bell, and it'll feel like the whole. Brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue.